Welcome back to YALife.Vegas podcast. This is the podcast for the young adult community here at Life Baptist Church, where the goal is to help young adults effectively communicate the faith by rightly examining the scriptures. I'm your host, Chuck Williams, and I just got one thing to say. Are you challenging me? Today's challenge question of the week is this. If something is illegal in your state, even if it is not a sin or rejected by God, should Christians still do it? Or do we have to follow the laws of the land? Examples would be drinking before adult age, gun ownership, COVID laws, etc. And once again, this is the challenge question that you guys sent in. I'm, I'm grateful and I'm so happy that you guys are consistently sending in these questions because it helps me understand where you at and how we can help you effectively communicate the faith. Now, in regards to this challenge question, I would refer the person back to the podcast that we did on Romans chapter 13. We walked through the entire book of Romans chapter 13 and it was Phenomenal. It, it provided the right understanding that we need in how we should be viewing government. But I will answer the question here. Number one, yes, we should be subject to our governing authorities. As it says in Romans chapter 13, verse one, every person is to be in subjection to the governing authorities for there is no authority except from God and those which exist have been appointed by God. Now, even if you disagree with the laws of the land, even if you disagree with the laws that are being implemented and enforced in the area where your governing authorities are, this does not give you license to be disobedient. Now, we do see in scripture where the government commands us to do something that God forbids. That is where we do not comply or they're restricting us from doing something that God commands. That is where we do not comply, because, again, we are those who are obedient to God, then to man, then to those that God has placed in authority over us. So even when it comes to speeding, guys. Listen, I have a 35 mile an hour speed limit that is very long to where I'm getting to my, my place of work here at life. And it is a long strip and it's only 30 miles. I mean, 35 miles an hour. And the average speed that people go on this road is maybe about 45, 50 because it's a long road. It's very open, but there are speed traps and people get caught and they try to justify themselves. Well, it doesn't seem like it should be 35. Well, that's the law of the land. Law of the land says 35. Therefore, we should be going 35. If we do not, then we suffer the consequences of whatever repercussions that come by. Now, this is another thing that I think we need to be thinking about, because not only would we suffer the consequences if we get caught by authorities, but these are also actions that we need to stand before the Lord and give an account for. These are also things that the Lord is watching as we are representing him in in this world like we need to be conscious of that so listen slow down if you need to leave a little bit early if you have to now in regards to drinking before an adult age there are some countries to where the drinking age is 16 here in the u.s it's 21 does that mean just because over there the governing authorities has set this law that i can now start drinking at the age of 16 no, listen, that is the law in that land. This is the law in this land. We need to be in obedience to that. Now, 
this does not give you license to, well, say, oh, I'm, you know, 17 years old and now I can go to a country that is, the drinking age is 16 and now I can go get drunk. Because once again, that would be a violation of the commands of, of God. So we need to we need to look at these things in the broader scheme, understanding that God is our authority. Now, when it comes to gun, gun ownership, I'm a big advocate of the Second Amendment. I firmly believe in the right to bear arms. But I'm also going to do this in a way that is honoring to the laws and to the parameters that our government has in, um, has implemented. And then, I mean, also you have to think about other countries. Like there are other countries that completely restrict that. I'm not going to, because I'm in America, I'm not going to take my freedom and abuse it and use it in a way that is disparaging to someone else's government because that is what they have instituted. Because again, going back to um, Romans chapter 13, Every authority is from God and appointed by God. So therefore, every person needs to be in subjection to them. If we're not doing this, we're in defiance against God. We are opposing his ordinance. We are opposing him in that regard. Now, once again, we we understand the stipulations for that, but I'm not going to allow my um, kid that's underage to go out and buy a handgun because I believe in the Second Amendment, but the law says you can't get one until you're 21. No, no, I'm going to rightfully, you know, um, be obedient to those commands. Now, the last one was in regards to COVID laws. We need to understand this when it came to 2020 and, and COVID and all that stuff that came out. There was no law that was implemented, that was signed off on, that was instituted specifically for COVID. The closest thing that we can probably say that happened in regards to that was the quarantine laws that was already in effect because of the 1918 Spanish flu and how people were to um, quarantine and what the parameters were for that. There was no laws in regards to COVID. There were only recommendations. So we, we need to uh, see that as this was not the law of the land, but this was a recommendation from our governing authorities to try and um, slow the spread or, or contain whatever um, um, sickness that was there in with within that time. So there was no laws. So we need to get that underst uh, understood. So if you have submitted this question and you were thinking that there were laws, I would highly encourage you to just go back and look through the archives of how all of these things um, played out. Now, when it comes to the quarantine laws that were set up, I think that we are right in setting those things up in in following the, the the laws that was implemented a long time ago, like I said, in 1918 because of the Spanish flu. So. Yes, once again, we are in subjection to our governing authorities because they are from God and they have been appointed by God. When the government tells us to do something that God forbids, we say no. When the government restricts us from doing something that God commands, we say no. But outside of that, the laws of the land, such as speeding, such as, you know, when we are able to um, uh, consume alcohol at the right age, understanding that we're not getting drunk, all of those things we need to be and obedience to Christians should be doing this. Is it easy? No, it's it's very hard. But once again, this is how it is that we are um, trying to 
uh, be good representatives of God, be good representatives of the faith that we hold to and not out of our own selfish desires, out of our own um, just just uh, wanting to be right and wanting to be in open rebellion against the government. No, we have a higher authority and that authority has placed our governing authorities over us, not for our bad, but for our good. All right. So we are in Romans chapter 15. Last week, we covered verses one through six, and this week we'll be covering verses seven through 13. So I'll go ahead and read that um, that passage, and then we'll jump into these five questions that we have. Romans chapter 15, starting in verse seven, it says this, therefore, accept one another, just as Christ also accepted us to the glory of God. For I say that Christ has become a servant to the circumcision on behalf of the truth of God to confirm the promise given to the fathers and for the Gentiles to the glory of God for his mercy. As it is written, therefore, I will give praise to you among the Gentiles and I will sing to your name. And again, he says, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples praise him. And again, Isaiah says, there shall come the root of Jesse and he who arises to rule over the Gentiles in him shall the Gentiles hope. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that you will abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right. So the questions that we have, the first one is in regards to verse seven. Once again, verse seven says this, therefore accept one another, just as Christ also accepted us to the glory of God. The question is this, what does it mean to accept one another as Christ accepted us? Now this word can, this word accept can also mean welcome or receive. So again, we need to see this within the broader context of Romans and within the chapter. Paul is once again, still on that track of those who are strong in faith and those who are weak in faith, those who are mature in Christ and those who are newer to the faith. So this welcoming is having open arms for those who are not as mature, for those who need to be welcomed into the faith because they they have some type of apprehension or those who don't feel as though they're welcomed in the faith because of the differing views. This could also be in regards to those who are not yet in the faith. We need to be welcoming those just as Christ Jesus has also welcomed us. While we were yet in our sin, he died for us and he extended that open welcome for us to come to him, to repent of our sins, to turn from our ways and to be accepted into his family as he continues to call us. So, so we need to see this as not affirming the sin that people are in, but being willing to accept them, being willing to bring them in, being willing to take them under our arms and walk alongside them for the glory of of God. I think a perfect parallel to this is in Luke chapter five, because a lot of people say, well, Jesus welcomed sinners. Jesus ate with sinners. Jesus was a friend of sinners. He ate with tax collectors. He did all of this stuff. But I think the thing that they are missing, the major thing that they are missing is the purpose. Well, why did Jesus do this? So when we look at Luke chapter five in verse 30, it says, and the Pharisees and the scribes began grumbling at his disciples saying, 
Why do you eat and drink with the tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered and said to them, it is not those who are well who need a physician, but those who are sick. Now, now listen to what it says in verse 32 of Luke chapter five. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Well, why did Jesus hang out with sinners and tax collectors? Why did he share a meal with them? Why was he invited into their home and he continued to go to call them to repentance, not to just to be hanging out with them and um, um, just being a part of the sin that they were in. No, he was calling them to repentance. He was preaching the good news of the gospel. He was preaching about the kingdom and how God's rule and reign is over them and they need to bow the knee. This was not a, oh, you're in your sin, but I'm still going to hang out with you type deal. Because once again, we address this in first Corinthians chapter five. So we need to understand that there is a purpose in us accepting those in Christ, just like there was in the, there was a purpose in Christ accepting us to transform us, not conform us to the world, but to transform us by the renewing of our mind. Now, in verse eight, remember. It says, for I say that Christ has become a servant to the circumcision on behalf of the truth of God to confirm the promises given to the fathers. Here's the question. How can we be servants on behalf of the truth today? This is a great question. And we need to look to Jesus as our model. The Lord's truthfulness and his faithfulness to his word demonstrated that that this is what we are to do, demonstrated how it is that we are to do this. So not just with our words, not just with, you know, um, um, the, the, the writings that we send to people, but we also need to demonstrate this with our actions. Jesus became a servant to the Jewish people, confirming that God's promises to the fathers and to the Gentiles stood firm. So we too need to stand on the truth of God. We need to be those who are rightfully living a life that matches the message that we are proclaiming. And that is how we stand in truth. Once again, we need to read the Bible in a way that most people don't. Most people, when they read the Bible, they say, hmm, yeah, I I think I agree with that there are, there's very rare people that read the Bible and go, huh, I guess that's what I believe now. This word of God needs to transform our minds. This word of God needs to embody our entire actions and our lives to where what is said, we are walking in obedience to it. That is how we uh, are servants of the truth. We stand on truth. Our actions relay that truth and we do it in a compassionate way. We, we look to Jesus as our model for this. That is how we become servants of the truth today. We, we can still do this today. We don't, we don't have to, um, God is conforming his, his people day by day. He is chipping off all of those things that do not look like him. And he is transforming our mind. And our job is to remain in him, abiding in Christ so that we do not quench the spirit. We, we deny ourselves. We pick up our cross daily and we follow him. We, we read his word and conform to the word, not to the world. So that is how we, uh, that is a prime way by following Jesus's model, how we can be those who are servants of the truth today. Now in verses nine through 12, the apostle Paul cites many Old Testament verses. 
He, he cites a lot of them. And this is giving proof of what? Like, what, what is the purpose of the Apostle Paul citing so many of these verses? Now, as we begin to see this, once again, we're, we're looking at this in context because we don't want to just pick out all of these verses. So Paul is showing through the historical books, the law, the writings and the prophets that God always had the Gentiles in view of the promises and that they were for them as well. And he does this by citing these passages, 2 Samuel twenty-two fifty along with Psalms 18, 49. Then he also goes to Deuteronomy 32, 43. He also goes to Psalms 117, verse 1. And then Isaiah eleven ten. These are passages that Paul is pulling from the Old Testament to confirm that the promises given to the fathers were also for the Gentiles, for the glory of God and for his mercy. So, so Paul is doing what we are trained to do, what we are training ourselves to do. Seek biblical justification for everything. If we make a claim, it is because this claim comes from the written word. We, we always default back to God's word in this. This is what the apostle Peter did. He says that he was the one that saw the risen Lord, but yet we have a more sure word. This is the same thing that Jesus did when John the Baptist questioned him. Are you the one or should we seek another? Jesus told them to go report what you have seen and what you have heard. And then he quotes Isaiah saying that the blind see, the lame walk, the Gentiles have the gospel preached to them. This is once again referring back to the word of God that it stood true. So once again, when there are conflicts, when there are things that we are trying to seek justification for, the word of God stands strong. This is another way that we are servants of the truth. We are relying on the scriptures. We are relying on the word of God to back up, back up the claims that we make. Now, wait a minute. None of these Old Testament passages say Gentiles. Is Paul taking this out of context? This is a good question because once again, we need to go back to these Old Testament references that Paul is referring to and see how he is making these connections, making sure that he is not taking these out of context. Because listen, although this is the Apostle Paul, we too need to be Bereans. We need to even examine what he is saying and making sure that they are in um, line with what the, uh, the word of God says. So when we're looking at second Samuel twenty-two fifty, it says, therefore I will give thanks to you. O Yahweh among the nations. And I will sing praises to your name. It's the same thing that is said in Psalm one. I mean, Psalm eighteen forty nine. Therefore I will give thanks to you among the Gentiles, O Yahweh. And I will sing praises to your name. But then we also go to Deuteronomy 32, 43. O nations, he causes his people to shout for joy, for he will avenge the blood of his slaves and he will render vengeance on his adversaries and he will atone for his land and for his people. Then we also look at Psalms 117 verse one, praise Yahweh, all nations, laud him and all people. And then Isaiah 11, 10, then it will be in that day that the nations will seek the root of Jesse who will stand as a standard for the people and his resting place will be glorious. Now, this is where having multiple texts will come in handy because 
uh, or having multiple translations. This is what I do in my Logos Bible software. Once again, commercial break for Logos. Shout out. It is a phenomenal Bible um, uh, platform that you that will just enhance your learning. If you if you do not have Logos Bible software, I highly encourage you to get it. They can start you off with a free package and then you can just add to um, your library with all that stuff. Um, I have over 22,000 uh, resources in my Logos Bible software app because I have had this for over six, seven years now. So I have heavily invested in it. I use it daily. So shout out to Logos. I'm not getting paid for this, but if you want to send me some free merch, I'm more than happy to have that. But one thing that I did in my Logos Bible software app is the text comparison. So I pulled up several different Bible versions, several different Bible versions, not just the LSB that I love, not just the NASB, not just the ESV, not just the Amplified. I pulled up the NIV, the um, C, uh, CJB, the CSB, the King James version, the new King James version, the NLT. I have all of these versions up. And when we're looking back at these Old Testament um, quotations that Paul is citing, almost all of them say nations. The only one that says Gentiles would be the new King James version. And even the King James version doesn't say nations or Gentiles. It says heathens. <laughs> but what this shows us is that there is um, variations in these translations and then connections in these translations. But the point that Paul is making is that the nations are the Gentiles. Because once again, in our New Testament, we see that there are two different categories, the Jews and we see the Gentiles or the Greeks as referred to in, in some translate in, in some areas. So it would be those who are God's people and then those who are not God's people. In the Old Testament, we also see it was Israel and then it was the nations. It was God's people, God's chosen people, and then everyone else. So Paul is again making this comparison by bringing up all of these references. He is showing that, yes, there is um, the, the Jewish people and then there is the Gentiles. There is Israel and then there is the nation. So when we're looking at this, it is not as though Paul is taking this out of context. He is bringing more clarity to what was being spoken in the Old Testament. Now, this is something that I found that was really good. One commentator, he says this, Paul reads this as an a, um, as, as a foreshadowing of, uh, or he, he says, Paul reads this as a vague foreshadowing of Moses's writings. Speaking of Deuteronomy 32, 43, he uses this as a vague foreshadowing of Moses's writing that God aligned towards the reconciliation of all people, Jews and Gentiles, Israel and the nations since Moses's time back before Abraham. So once again, Paul here is proving that all of this that is being said, God had already had them in mind to be his people. So when we're when we're looking at these, it only brings us more confirmation that what God had said was absolutely right. And then the last question, based on verse 13, how does someone abound in hope? We end this uh, with the benediction. Uh, this is the second benediction that Paul has in this chapter. It says, now may the God of hope fill you with all hope and joy. I mean, fill you with all um, joy and peace in believing so that you will abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, this is just such a profound and uplifting um, benediction. It, it uplifts our soul 
through faith in believing in Jesus Christ. And the overall context of this is faith in Christ. Once again, the theme of the book of Romans, the righteous shall live by faith. And and this is just so beautiful because what lies in this is that it is through the gospel that provides this hope. It is through the gospel that provides the result of the hope that we have in Christ that leads us to the desired outcome. And that is that by the power of the Holy Spirit, we will abound in hope. So how is it that we abound in hope? By believing in Christ. We continue to believe in him. We continue to have faith in him because the righteous shall live by faith. And this verse is also a powerful indirect testimony of the Trinity. It is the testimony that God desires that his people not merely persevere, but abound in hope by believing in Jesus Christ. And that believing allows us to stand firm on our hope. And we are powered by the Holy Spirit to do all those things that is pleasing to him because he works in and through us. This is just such a powerful benediction and such a comforting one that we can rely on. So even as we leave today, I want to encourage you with this. May the God of hope fill you with joy and peace in believing so that you would abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. This is such a a good benediction. I encourage you guys to continue to remain in the word, stay close and clean to Yahweh, our God, and continue to believe and trust and put your faith in him and him alone. Until next time, see you guys. 